everybody. Welcome to the New Market Alliance Church Podcast. For more information on the vision, programs, and news of our church, be sure to check us out at www.newmarketalliance.ca. We'd like to encourage you as well that no podcast, no matter how good, can substitute for the experience of joining together in person at a worship celebration. That's where God really meets people, often through the love and ministry of others. At NAC, we meet every Sunday at 10 a.m. Now let's join this week's teaching. This is, uh, this is part two of a two-parter, and so I, I really would recommend that you, you listen to the podcast from last week, and I wonder if this is even especially relevant as we, as we get into the holidays and, you know, all, all kinds of potential relational landmines can happen, and you know how it is, like... Uh, the same person who's always late to Christmas dinner um, doesn't bring any food either. You know what they do bring, though? Tupperware. Because <laughs> they think they're going to bring all the food home with them. Like, who do you, who do you think you are? Um, I mean, there's just so many relational dynamics during the holidays. Like, uh, you know, you got your aunt questioning how you're raising your kids, and it's like, Game on. Uh, I don't care if it's Christmas, Auntie Joyce. You just crossed the line. My kids are getting vaccinations, and that's just how it is, you know? So it's, the littlest things can set off the biggest uh, landmines, you know? At, at times, uh, a time that is supposed to be about Christ and honoring baby Jesus becomes relationally destructive. And I just think it would be so ironic if during this season where we're thinking about his birth, we're thinking about the Prince of Peace, we're singing about Jesus, and we open gifts with a closed heart to someone who we're called to love. You know, I, I pray that we don't celebrate the love of Christ while hating someone. Um, I pray we don't enjoy the grace of God without extending that same grace to other people. And so the long and the short is, uh, of it is that I'm increasingly believing that the spirit of offense might be the root cause of church splits, of ex-Christians, of broken marriages, of family fights, of job dissatisfaction, of, of broken friendships. And not to put too fine a point on it, it is ultimately the cause of murder. And, and if the spirit of offense can't cause you to literally murder, it'll cause you to murder with your tongue, character assassination. And by the way, this is such a loaded subject. You know, I want to be careful that you don't hear what I'm not saying. I feel like I need to maybe clarify some things. When I talk about offense, um, I want to be clear. I'm not talking as sort of a, you know, middle-aged, privileged white male who thinks everyone has gotten soft and we're all a bunch of, you know, libtard snowflakes or whatever. And I'm not talking about safe spaces and um, trigger warnings. This is not like a toughen up message. I'm not, you know, I'm not on Don Cherry's side. I'm not not on Don Cherry's side. I'm not, you know, I, in fact, I find it interesting that whenever someone says, you know, people are just so sensitive these days and they should lighten up. Well, that's all fine and good until we discover the thing that they're sensitive about, right? So I want to say this. Somebody um, brought this to my attention this week, and I was grateful. 
I made this little series trailer, and I used a secular song in it called uh, No Hard Feelings. Well, it turns out the context of that song is a songwriter who actually had an affair on his wife, married someone else. I don't know what his intentions were as a songwriter, but if the message that you heard was, well, I've hurt you deeply, and you know I've sinned against you in a grievous way, but yeah, no hard feelings, or like, get over it, no big deal, that is not what I'm talking about in this series either. And some of you have been deeply, deeply wounded. You've been sinned against. And if the message you received was, you know, lighten up, stop being such a baby, that is offensive. And that's not what I'm talking about. And I apologize if that was what you received last week because communicating is hard and sometimes I don't choose the right words. Um, this is nuanced. In fact, last week, Paul McLaurin was gracious enough to, um, you know, say that the kind things about the message. But, but like that video that we just watched, he told me another side of that story of the mother who doesn't get as much press, but she also forgave her son's killer. But she also said justice needs to be served. And I think that's true too, that we serve a God of grace and forgiveness and a God of justice. So I'm not talking about being overly sensitive. I'm, not, I'm, I'm talking about a spiritual condition that the enemy uses for division and for anger and for hatred and separation from God and from others. So um, for those who were here last week, can we review? Uh, I made the point that offense isn't inherently wrong. Rather, it's a uh, Oh, what? what? <laughs> Thank you, Rex. Yes. It's an opportunity. Because, uh, you, you know, it, it felt like you were with me last week. Um, it's an opportunity. It's a chance to either love, uh, forgive, grow, heal, or it's an opportunity to gossip or stew, or slander, or divide. Um, I made the point that people are not the enemy. Thank you. People can be cruel and immature, and they often hurt us. Um, But the real enemy is actually an unseen enemy. It's a spiritual enemy, the father of lies, principalities, rulers, strongholds of darkness. That's where the real battle takes place. Uh, I said that the original Greek of the word offense is a word scandalon, and the literal meaning sometimes meant the part of the trap where the bait is put. In, in fact, one of the few books that you can even find on this subject of the spirit of offense is called The Bait of Satan. And uh, Satan wants to trap you in bondage through offense. Uh, I made the point last week that the offended person might unconsciously be angry at God. Thank you. Uh, Unanswered prayer, unexpected tragedy, uh, life not working out the way you hope. That anger can come out, you know, subconsciously even towards God. And, And Satan would like nothing better than for you to be angry at God. And we said last week that what you feed will 
grow. Uh, we tend to mediate or sort of meditate on offense. We ruminate on it, and it only gets bigger. Uh, we said last week that offense wants. Sorry. Company. Company. Thank you. Thank you. Was that my wife? She's the one person who is. Fence wants to gather allies. People, people want, you know, Fence wants to share in the offense, justify the offense. People who will maybe even join in ostracizing, you know, when you go, is it me? Am I crazy or is that guy a jerk? And you want to hear, no, you're one of the good ones. He's the jerk, right? You have every right to be angry. Can I add a couple more? And, um, and maybe you'll remember these ones. <laughs> Because these themes keep emerging as I study offense. And can I just say, this is, these have been the hardest two messages I've ever had to study for or preach because there's so much, I think, that, that wants to be said. I just, I'm going to just blast you with some information, blast you with a ton of scripture, and trust that the Holy Spirit will, will have you hear what you need to hear. So here's another thing that came up. Offense wants to put walls up. And aren't we supposed to be known as a people who actually build bridges and not put up walls? See, see if any of these behaviors might point to walls up in your own heart. Do you find yourself avoiding certain people when you see them? Do you catch yourself feeling negative emotions rising up when you think of someone in particular? Um, are there people who you can't, say that you have a legitimate desire to see them blessed. Um, when we hear something unfortunate has happened to a certain someone, do you have a thought that's like, well, she deserves what she gets, or yeah, I ain't surprised, or well, instant karma's gonna get you, right? Do you feel any just even tinge of pleasure uh, when you think about them suffering or getting some comeuppance. So maybe this is similar to my point last week is, is where we write people off. Um, we may not tangibly, actively seek revenge, but our form of retaliation is like to build a wall around ourselves, and we think it'll protect us from ever being hurt again. And so now our mindset is one of cynicism and suspicion. You ever try to worship suspiciously? You ever try to love Christ uh, cynically? In fact, like it's, it, it, it's like this wall eventually becomes a dam that holds back a river called the love of the Father. Proverbs 18 says, A brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city, and contentions are like bars of a castle. Another, another translation says that a, a, it's like a gate. And a gate isn't made to let people in. It's actually meant to keep people out for protection. And so the focus of the offended Christian is, is inward, right? We guard our rights and our relationship carefully. We don't want to risk being hurt. And we, we can't give unconditional love because unconditional love actually opens us up to be hurt. Now, perhaps you do this um, the way I do this, but... When we build walls, we start expecting to be offended, and then we start practicing our responses. Do you ever do this? 
well, if she says this, then I'm going to say that. And if she comes back with this, then I'm going to throw this in her face, right? We start to rehearse it. Would you say this with me? I'm not rehearsing this. I'm releasing this. Say that. I'm not rehearsing this. I'm releasing this. Because offense often comes down to unfulfilled expectations, you know, to, to my way of thinking. You could say the real problem is me. Um, you ever met someone who it seems they are continually offended in all kinds of different settings, and you start to think, hmm, I wonder what the common denominator is here, or who the common denominator is. Now, this week, as you catch yourself feeling offended because you were ignored or not spoken to or you received a terse email, um, ask yourself not only what this is really about, but who is this really about? Who is actually guilty of sin? Is it the person who was maybe distracted or overwhelmed or had a number of life issues that you don't know about? Or is it actually you who maybe listened to the voice of the enemy, who maybe even meditated on what you saw as rude and then you became critical and judgmental? You know, we are often our own stumbling block and we can be oblivious to it because we're so focused on the wrong that was done to us. And it's really an effective way for the devil to blind us. And that is to cause us to focus on ourselves. Now, why do you think it is that um, Christians and churches seem more susceptible to offense? I think it's a couple things. One, and we talked about this last week, because ultimately it's a spiritual battle the enemy would love nothing more than to cause division through offense. But the other thing is this, is that the closer the relationship, the greater the offense. You know, when a fellow believer is the one who's hurt us, doesn't the offense feel more like a betrayal? Like we, we expect more from each other, don't we? Here's what, here's what David laments in Psalm 55. If an enemy were insulting me, I could endure it. If a foe were rising against me, I, I could hide but it is you, a man like myself, my companion, my close friend, with whom I once enjoyed a sweet fellowship at the house of God. Like, they are the ones who sit three rows away from you. Or maybe it's the guy delivering the sermon. Or maybe the person you spend holidays with or share offices with, or perhaps even closer, the one you grew up with or sleep next to. Uh, the closer the relationship the deeper the offense often. And you find that the greatest hatred happens among people who were once close. Isn't that true? Like, attorneys will tell you that the most vicious cases are in, what, divorce courts, right? And, and only those who you truly care about can hurt you so deeply. You expect more from them after all. You've, been, you've given more of yourself to them. And the higher the expectations, it seems, the greater the fall. We, we expect more from Christians, and maybe we ought to. But the more we expect, the greater potential of offense. So many things I wanted to expound on that we just don't have time. I wanted to tell you how God hates festering offense. I say festering or lingering offense because once the initial sting of offense has happened, um, it starts to become a choice to stay offended, doesn't it? And there's so many verses showing that God hates lingering offense. I was going to show you that often the gospel 
is offensive. Jesus offended many people, didn't he? And sometimes the gospel even acts as like this dividing line between those whose hearts are true and those who are just Sunday morning Christians. But I probably need a whole Sunday for that. But um, there is an offense of the gospel. I was going to show you how your offense will follow you around, how you'll end up seeing people and hearing people filtered through the wounds of your previous unresolved offenses. You know, you think, think about divorce, and if you don't deal with that, um, do you think you're not going to bring that into your n- next marriage? You know, the unforgiveness you hold against your first spouse is likely going to adversely affect your second spouse, if not dealt with. You think if you leave a church offended, um, that you'll just get a fresh start somewhere else? No way. The way you leave a church or relationship is often the way that you enter into your next church or relationship. And then it becomes easier to leave our next relationship when problems arrive. We're, we're, we're dealing not only with the hurts that took place in the new relationship, but also we bring in all these hurts from the former relationship, our former church. Uh, we don't have time for this, but we need a whole teaching on how to leave a church well, how to join a church well. And if we ever do that talk, I'm going to use Paul and Sherry Maxman as a case study on how to do that biblically and how to do that well and maturely. Remember that if you're in a place where God wants you, uh, the devil wants to try to offend you to get you out. He wants to uproot you from the place where, where God has planted you. I want to tell you... Um, how offense always assigns blame, you know? If it weren't for my wife, you know, I would be in ministry, but she's, you know, held me back. Um, If it weren't for my parents, I would have had a normal life, but they're to blame for what I'm like today. How come I couldn't have normal parents? You know, if my mom and dad didn't get divorced, I I would have a normal marriage. If it weren't for the pastor repressing my gifts, you know? If it weren't for my ex-wife, my kids... And I wouldn't have all this financial trouble. And if it weren't for that woman in the church um, who's gossiping about me, I'd still be in favor with the leaders and still be respected. Not only does offense assign blame, but it's also incredibly defensive. Like, you know, my natural response when confronted with offense is often like, no, I'm not. You just, you don't understand me. It's your problem. But defensiveness only fuels offense. And by the way, do you know this? God hasn't asked us to fight our own battles. Like if the spirit of offense is actually part of an unseen world, an unseen battle, and and if we believe that people are not the real enemy, then you need to know that God is fighting on your behalf. So when you're being attacked, you remember there are more with you than against you. The fight is not your fight. God's, God's in the fight. Psalms or Proverbs says, do not say, I will repay evil. Wait for the Lord and he will save you. You know, typically when we are hurt or offended, the enemy is right there to persuade us into uh, retaliation. And God says, I'll take care of the enemy. Psalms, contend, O Lord, with those who contend with me. Fight against those who fight against me. For Samuel, for the battle is the Lord's. Isaiah says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be scorched. Jeremiah, the prophet, says, do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. 
And if I had time to preach a whole message on God's blessing to those who are, who are not easily sucked into offense, I'd say that God blesses the unoffendable. I'll te- I'd tell you the story of Joseph, the youngest of 11 brothers who shares this prophetic dream with his family that shows that there's a special plan for Joseph. You know this story, right? He had a technicolor dream coat. You know what I'm talking about? And, and the brothers are so offended, they're ready to kill him. Now, you remember the spirit of offense is a murdering spirit. But they instead, they fake his death, throw him in a pit, sell him into slavery. He quickly becomes, actually uh, earns favor in Egypt. He becomes the right-hand man of, of Potiphar, this high-ranking official. Potiphar's wife tries to seduce him. Joseph rebuffs her, and she is deeply, what? Offended. And she lies and accuses him of attempted rape. He's thrown into jail. Still, this supernatural favor and blessing rests on him. He helps people get out of jail. He, they forget about him. Never once is it recorded that Joseph is offended or uh, has any unforgiveness. Just the continued favor and blessing of God to the point where we skip ahead several years. Joseph is the second highest ranking official in Egypt, just under Pharaoh. And he has essentially, through his wisdom, through his God-given wisdom, saved the nation of Egypt, saved the nation of, of, of Jews, of Israel. And his brothers are brought before him. Now, this is not the ending I would have written, okay? Why? Because I love a good revenge story. Oh, love it, love it, love it. Gladiator, equalizer, um, kill Bill, Taken, <laughs> unforgiven. Oh, that's ironic. Um, yeah, um, the revenant. I can't get enough of him. John Wick. I mean, look, they wrecked his car and shot his dog. Guys, he deserved to kill 158 people. So, <laughs> my ending to the story would have involved a giant uh, trap door that fit 11 brothers on it, and it, underneath would have been um, feral monkeys riding on the back of great white sharks, right? And they, boom! <laughs> That's not how the story ends. It's um, a story of embrace and forgiveness and the blessing of his brothers. What you meant for evil, God is using for good. And that's the story of Joseph's life, just bathed in the favor and the blessing of God. And we could talk about length, about all these things. But what we really want to talk about in our, our remaining time, what we promised that we talk about today, is the antidote to offense. So that we can truly say we are a people who are unoffendable. Paul McLaurin, again, last Sunday said kind things. And then he said, and it's good next week that we're going to talk about the solution, forgiveness. Yeah, he knows. It's no great secret, spoiler alert. The antidote is forgiveness. Well, that sounds easy, Jonathan. Why didn't you just say that earlier? Just forgive somebody who's deeply wounded you. Easy peasy. Class dismissed. Um, I want to be careful here because some of you have experienced great injustices, great hurt, sins committed against you defrauded of large sums of money, lies told about you, innocence stolen from you at a young age, um, loved ones taken from you as a result of someone else's actions, betrayed. 
in significant ways. And I don't, I don't even pretend to understand what you have been through. And I don't even necessarily know how to do this well myself, if I'm being honest. Offering forgiveness seems utterly impossible in, in our human strength. But it is one of the distinguishing characteristics of, of the Christ follower. And I, and I know this, the magnitude of the offense will never justify unforgiveness. The magnitude of the defense will, of the offense will never justify unforgiveness. And some of you might be able to attest to this. Unforgiveness is torment, isn't it? it it's torment. If we have unforgiveness towards anyone, it's like we have sealed the door to our own prison cell. And ironically, we think we're punishing the person who has wronged us when in fact we're really literally punishing ourselves, aren't we? And I'll tell you something else. I don't, I don't profess to understand all the theological ramifications of this, but when we don't forgive, we are giving the enemy access to us. So then think about this too. You know, the disciples of Jesus witnessed all these amazing miracles. Blind eyes were opened and the dead were raised and they heard Jesus command the weather to change from stormy to sunny. And they saw thousands fed with this one kid's filet of fish sandwich, right? And after seeing all these miraculous wonders, what was the thing that pushed the disciples to the very brink of doubt? It was when Jesus instructed his disciples, if your brother sins against you seven times in a day even, and seven times in a day they return saying, you know, I repent, Forgive them each time. And their immediate response was, hoy vey, uh, increase our faith. Really? That's the thing that you need increased faith for? Not calming the sea or raising the dead? Forgiveness? I mean, that just tells you how hard this is. And Jesus said, it's impossible that no offenses should come. And he even tells us that in these last days, um, many will be offended. It will increase. Uh, brother will betray one another and will hate one another. Okay, so how? How, Jonathan, do you forgive somebody that seems unforgivable? How do you forgive something that's so wrong? Um, not only how do we forgive someone that hurt us, but you know what's, what's even more difficult? How do you forgive someone that hurts someone you love? That's tougher, isn't it? Oh, you mess with my kid. That's another story, right? You mess with my wife. I ain't got no love for you, right? How do we forgive? We forgive because we've been forgiven. I don't know how, how you roll. I can't speak for anybody else here. But man, I have been forgiven a lot. Uh, if you look at the accumulation of my years and all the times that I've let people down and all the times that I've been less than honest and the times that I've hurt people, that I've blatantly sinned against God, I have been forgiven a lot. So how do I forgive somebody that seems unforgivable? I forgive them in the same way that I've been forgiven, freely. Freely I've been forgiven and freely I am to forgive others. Here's what Paul says. Get rid of bitterness, 
rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. In fact, let's just get, I mean, let's get real for a minute. Let's, let's bring this to an uncomfortable gut level. You might have a, a spouse who has committed adultery, and you can say as a Christian, and I would agree with you, adultery is grounds for divorce. And if you're reading scripture, that's an absolutely true statement. Here's another true statement. Adultery could also be grounds for forgiveness. And I know that it's complicated, and I've never had to walk through something like that in my own life, and I'm not sure that I have the kind of forgiveness in me. I'll just say this. I've been forgiven a lot, and I want to freely forgive in the way that I've been forgiven. I don't know if this is speaking to someone today, but if you just let God soften your heart a little bit. I believe that in the presence of God, he's going to do a healing work in you so that you're, you're no longer going to be under a curse of something that happened in the past. So how do we forgive something that seems unforgivable? Well, in the same way that Christ has forgiven us. And here's some other thoughts in answering the how question. How do we forgive Well, maybe it seems obvious and it goes without saying, but some of y'all need to be reminded this morning, your life is too short, isn't it? Like God's plan for you is too big and your life is too short to be offended. Life is a mist. Like we are here for a little bit and then we're gone. I can hardly believe I have two high school graduates in my house and one on the way. I mean, they were just babies yesterday. Life is too short. God's plan for you is too good to carry offenses for too long. You know, imagine trying to enter into the presence of a king in praise and worship, and you have these offenses against somebody three rows to your left. Life is too short for that. I'll tell you something else. This, this is from the wisest man other than Jesus. This is Proverbs 19.11. A person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to do what? Overlook an offense. Now, let me tell you, what does overlook mean? It doesn't mean pretending it didn't happen, okay? It's a conscious decision to let it go, to, um, to make a choice in real time that I'm going to rise above this, I'm going to uh, not let this get into my heart, Um, In fact, the word overlook actually comes from two Hebrew words that literally means to pass over. It is to one's glory to pass over an offense, to rise above it spiritually. There's this great quote from uh, Rene Descartes. Julie, am I saying that right? Descartes, Descartes. And it's that, it's that Rene Descartes, and this is what he said. Whenever anyone has offended me, I try to raise my soul so high that the offense cannot reach it. Say this with me. With God's help, I'm rising above this. With God's help, I'm rising above this. Um, We need to make allowances for people. This is right from Ephesians 4. It says, always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. What a great verse. How many of you know somebody who's perfect? No? Not even my wife is raising her hand? No? Good? Paul? 
make allowances for their, their faults because of your love. You know, I find this interesting is how we tend to judge others by their actions. And what do we do to ourselves? We often judge ourselves by our intentions. In other words, you know, if I did it, well, it's like, that's not what I meant. You know, you, you know my heart, right? Like, I know it looks bad, but that wasn't my intention. If someone else did it, well, that guy's a creep and an idiot and a, just a bad dude. We judge them by their actions. We want to be judged by our intentions. So we need to recognize that when someone else has had a bad day, when someone else has a bad response, when someone else might seem uncaring or unempathetic or unfriendly, their bad response is not all about you. Their bad driving is not an attempt to ruin your whole day. The fact that they walked by you fast without saying thank you is not necessarily about you. So when someone is short with me, what I'm trying to do, learning to do, is to assume the best of them and to even ask myself, oh man, I wonder what they're going through. I wonder where they're hurting. And, and when someone is a little bit rude, instead of hitting them up with one of my awesome, gone snarky retorts, I'm trying to ask myself, I wonder if they need prayer. And so lastly, when in doubt, we look to the word of God. Isn't that our, our foundation? Have we forgotten the Lord's command? Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. And then ultimately, we look to Jesus who said, but I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. When Jesus was wronged, he didn't wrong in return. So the process of forgiveness for some of us is going to take time, isn't it? Um, but as we continue to seek God, as we continue to, to pray, we continue to seek to do the right thing. We talked about this a few weeks ago. His spirit will actually give you power to change. He'll give you power to forgive, power to change your heart. So say this with me. With God's help, I'm rising above this. One more time. With God's help, I'm rising above this. Say, with God's help, I'm letting this go. With God's help, I'm letting this go. And then one day, um, with everything in you, because of God's goodness, because of his grace, you've let it go. It used to hold you back, but because of God's goodness, it's actually made you stronger. You know, what used to hurt me in the past has conformed me to the image of Christ, and I'm even more like him today than I was yesterday. What weighed me down for years is no longer holding me down. Why? Because I've let it go, and I'm rising above it. As Jesus has forgiven me, so I will forgive others. Amen? Let me pray. Father, we ask... Uh, that in your presence, you do a work in our hearts. God, I know that it is so easy for so many of us to be easily offended by things that are insignificant, things that don't really matter that much. And God, by your grace, give us the ability to overlook, to pass over, to rise above the things that would slow us down. 
God, for those of us who are significantly hurt today, we ask that you would give us the power to forgive as you've been forgiven. I just wonder how many would be honest enough to raise a hand and admit that you are carrying a significant wound and one that you need God's help to let go. Would there be anybody honest enough? Who's, yeah, amen, amen. Let me pray for you especially. Father, today I ask that in your presence you would do a work in our hearts for, the, for these deeper offenses, God. I know it took years for me to overcome some. And I pray, God, that the process of healing would start right now that you would even speed the process along, God, that you would help us to choose to bless those who curse us, to pray for those who harm us, to love like Jesus loves, to live like Jesus lives. God, as we've been forgiven so much, give us the supernatural ability to forgive others as we've been forgiven. God, we thank you that when we forgive, the prisoner is set free. And, and we often realize the prisoner is actually us. God, set us free. Give us power. Give us the grace to forgive. Break every chain this morning, I pray in Jesus' name. Folks, what better way to respond than to remember the sacrifice of Jesus? We have four communion stations two at the front, two at the back. There'll be four groups or four couples who will meet you there and, and, and give you the communion elements. I'd ask that you remember the forgiving, atoning work of Jesus through his blood and through his body. And these prayer folks are gonna ask if there's anything that you would just like a quick prayer for. And so this, this time may take just a little bit longer than usual. That's okay. We're going to worship together. You can worship while you stand in line. You can worship from your seat. Wouldn't it be something if we saw people who were crossing the room to get right with somebody? Uh, revival has always begun with prayer, confession, and people getting right with each other. That would be really something. So... Um, use this time to maybe um, think about who you need to get right with. Maybe it's with God. Maybe it's with somebody who you would um, decide today. They're not here, but I'm going to get right with that person. So um, communion couples, would you go to your stations? And uh, why don't you stand with me as we worship? Break every chain, Lord. Break every chain.